all right so um yeah i guess we're rolling uh pre-roll let me see if i can remember how this goes oh do they say names first i don't remember i'll edit this out oh, before i, I send it to them oh i know they say names so uh i'm philip you're steve that's right i'm philip and i'm steve and we're keeping you in the loop of the gear community and this is where they don't really talk over the intro song. And it annoys the hell out of me because the intro song's so good. Um, so it's so long, though. Well, the intro's not long. They play, just play the whole thing at the end, right? Yeah, they just play the whole thing at the end. It's a banger. It's really good. All right. So uh, you're probably wondering what the hell is going on. Um, so Scott is in the middle of recording an album with his church. And uh, Diaz has COVID. Um and so we're taking over this week. So we're if this completely goes off the rails, it is their fault. Um, How late can they be recording? He's in Chicago. Is that a secret? I don't think that's a secret. No, that's not a secret. So it's like 930. They, uh-huh. they should be done by now. It's a weeknight. Yeah, they're probably done by now. In fact, he, he thought he could have made it. I said, no, I can't derail this if you're here. So... <laughs> <laughs> So, so for those of you that don't know, uh, if you're not, if if your Venn diagram doesn't touch mine, uh, my name is Philip. I am the host of the Forty Watt Podcast. Steve is the co-host of the Sixty Cycle Hum Podcast and YouTube channel. You've you've been on this show like a dozen times. It's I, like three. Feel, it's like three. is it only is it really only three? I think it is only maybe four. It might be four at this point. I know right. every time I'm on here, it feels like years. It's fine. No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and you've been on the show before too. So this is no secret to everybody. Um, oh, uh, this episode is brought to you by the effects loop Patreon supporters. So if you go over to uh, patreon.com slash the effects loop, you can support this show for a bunch of tiers. I know nothing about. I'm a Patreon supporter of this show and I don't know what the tiers are, but while you're over there and supporting the effects loop, you know, you could also hit up 40 watt podcast and uh, 60 cycle hum. Uh, over there on uh, Patreon, and just support all three. That'd be fantastic. Are you looking at the go- tiers? I tried to Google it, and it didn't come up. So that seems like not a good sign, guys. Oh, come on, guys! You gotta, I, t- you gotta fix that SEO. Come on! All right, all right. So, Steve, what's new with you? Um, not a ton. Uh, I mean, for folks who don't listen to my show, I moved about a month ago. Actually, a month and a half ago now so i have not unpacked my guitar stuff because it's that whole thing where it's like we move from a condo to a house and you get there and we have a garage now so everything can just live in boxes forever (laughs) and all the pressure of like unpacking is is non-existent so uh unfortunately unfortunately that's where we're at but let me i'll tell you about the last time i moved which was a little over two years ago so I was moving, I don't know, where I live now is about three and a half hours from where I was moving from. Uh, we moved all our junk, put it in a storage unit because there was a week between us closing on the sale of our house down there, or the sale mm-hmm. of our house down there, and the closing of the new house here. So like all of our stuff went in a giant storage unit. I was living in this like one bedroom trailer because I had to move up here a month earlier uh, to start work. And... uh so we close on the house on March 13th, 2020. And so on March yep. 16th, yep. 2020, 
everything shut down. So we had plenty yeah. of time. We got to slow unpack. It was great. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, rem- I remember that day because that was when I, uh, I had always waffled on uh, starting investing. Oh, yeah. Like, which is a bad thing to do when you're in your, like, it's a thing, you know, you should start as early in your life as you can, even if it's just like $10, $20 a month. It's really easy now. Um, but, you know, I started in my mid 30s and I started, I was always going back and forth. And then the market tanked and I was like, yep, this is it. Like, people are like, what are you doing? It's, it's COVID. We don't know where it's going to go. I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like this is a huge crash. This is yep. a hopeful, hopefully a once in a lifetime crash, you know? So, uh, you got to take advantage. You got to buy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, congratulations on the house. A garage is a game changer. Yeah, uh, it, it really it's, is. Uh, it, it's a bit warm in there. One of my thoughts, you know, in the long term is, uh, get a camera and start doing videotape or filming. It's not film. It's not really tape i don't know what the hell they call it now <laughs> um video but record doing some pedal building and and whatnot in there and, and throw that up on send it to ryan and be like here's some clips do something with it i don't know <laughs> and uh but the problem is is i've moved from san diego up to what they call the inland empire so where i lived in san diego uh it was we'd maybe have like one or two weeks a year total the entire year uh where it was like over 95 degrees oh uh 95 would be a break this week where i am now yes i think yeah. it, i to today it was a i i use this i use the, the wonderground weather app i don't know if uh-huh. you're familiar with it so basically what no. it does is it will tell you like how is today going to feel compared to yesterday and today is said today is today is cooler than yesterday, and today it was ninety eight degrees because God. yesterday it was a hundred and one. Yeah, no, it, I was I was working outside today. Uh, we I had a bunch of stuff hauling some stuff to storage and whatnot for work I needed to do because I'm I, we're public library. I can't afford to pay somebody else to do that. I do that. Right, you know, it's what right. I do. Um, and it was like. 98 degrees plus the humidity because it finally stormed tonight it acted like it wanted to storm all day and then mm. finally did this evening um so yeah it's it's absolutely awful i hate it uh well you know and, and as we were pulling in the driveway and it's storming it you know like crazy my wife's like yeah I, the the garage is a is a baller move having a garage <laughs> is, is the way to go um yes yeah, so, so what's new with you man uh, so I got a couple of things. Uh, I, we'll talk about the thing that's in hand. I got another thing in the works that I'm really pumped about, but it's going to be about eight weeks before I see that. But, um, I bought, I, I traded for a synthesizer. Like I'm really getting into synth lately. I'm really enjoying playing. That's um, the, that's the wave. I tried to get into synths like, I don't know, 10 years ago and I borrowed a uh alesis something or other but i mm-hmm. i just i don't know yeah i, I remember i'm too dumb <laughs> well i i know that i am too dumb for a fully modular synthesizer i know that my brain is not ready for that but i was wanted to get into it i've been tinkering with a an app called vital um hmm. that's a free synthesizer app 
Um, and you can download a bunch of presets that come with it. And it's really fun. And I just used a, a cheap 25 key, you know, MIDI keyboard that I've got. And I was like, this is really fun. I, I'm really enjoying this. And I had a bunch of gear sitting around and uh, some stuff I didn't need. And a guy had a Moog subsequent 37 and he was looking for a guitar amp. I was like, I'll trade you. And so I traded an amp for this synthesizer and I, and uh, I, that, and a Amaris Enzo pedal. I don't, you know, I'm not going to play guitar synth. I tried it. It's pretty cool. I'll probably end up moving right. that, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's still a lot to wrap my brain around. Cause you know, like with a modular synthesizer, you're like moving cables around yeah. and figuring out how all yeah. that goes. And at least everything's on like a button or a dial with the Moog. Uh, I don't mm -hmm. have to worry about all that. So, it's a blast. It's fun. It's different. I don't know that it's going to be showing up for any of my blues cover band sets, but right. <laughs> I always, I always find things like that. Like if you can get into it, like this is always um, when people say like, Oh, you know, about, cause I, I'm primarily a bass player. Um, and people will ask like, if I'm, if I spend too much time playing bass, then I forget how to play guitar. If I spend too much time playing guitar, I kind of forget how to play bass. I'm not great at either to begin with, but there is something about um, picking up a new instrument that that uh, kind of forces you to re-examine um, whatever you're already good at. Yeah. Like it forces you to, whether, you know, uh, at going from bass to guitar and back, it's kind of like, Okay, well, a lot of the the lead stuff that I know how to do on guitar, I can transfer that over to bass and and kind of like freestyle a little better on bass. But then the uh, on the other side, it's like now on bass on uh, going to guitar, it's like you know, I helps you really understand the importance of like not overplaying and when the context isn't right for that. That's that's what playing synth is reminding me because I am not. I don't have the proficiency on keys. I, I played some keys in college because, you know, I was a music major. And so I had to play mm -hmm. piano and I, I play keys. I've got a keyboard and I've played in bands at this point a few times. And that's fine. But playing synth is a totally different ball game. It's not like hammering out the chords to, to don't stop believing on a piano. Yeah, it's, you know, it way less proficiency and it's making me think more about little passages and little things and parts <laughs> that I didn't think about because it's not, it's not polyphonic. So I'm not playing chords. Uh, and so it's just little lead lines and stuff like that. So it's interesting. I I'm really enjoying it. Uh, so having said that and things that we enjoy, let's look at some news. Sure. Um, where you want to start? Let's start at the top. So Walrus Audio has released the Mira optical compressor with warm analog compression. Uh, this text brought to you by GearNews.com. Uh, so um, I'm not going to lie. When I saw this, I was like, oh, look, another compressor. Yeah. A yeah, few things no. excite me less than another compressor. <laughs> I always tell Ryan, you know, I'm like, how do you... I know, I know what he doesn't like to demo is overdrives because overdrives are so like personal. Yeah, they either, yeah they it either works or it doesn't, right? But compressors is one of those things where I'm kind of like, how do you? I don't even know how to approach, like how I how I would approach that. Yeah. Uh, I know he did the demo for this one. I've heard really good things about it. Um, it is what it says it is, which is you know it's a very warm, warm. Uh, I guess that's a characteristic of optical compressors. 
is that they just tend to be warmer. And then the Walrus one has a pretty good feature set. Oh, I've heard really good things. Uh, something about side chains, but I barely understand what a side chain is. So, uh, yeah, it's it looks like it's got some things that can can be run in a side chain. I I understand a little bit from my time uh, in school and the little bit of audio engineering I did that required side chaining. But yeah, I, it, once you start talking side chaining with pedals, I go, what? Why? Yeah. Um. It's it's essentially. Okay, someone's going to rail me for it. But it's essentially very fancy parallel mixing. That's all it is, you know, in a way. Right. You get to keep a clean signal, and then it side chains to do some other things and brings it into your clean signal. I think Scott's going to be really mad that we don't know what side chains are. Yeah, he's going to be totally pissed. He's going to be real mad. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be, I'll be, honestly, I'll be impressed if Scott listens to this before he releases it, but that's okay. Um, yeah, I hope he doesn't. Does. I hope he I doesn't hope, either. <laughs> I hope he just gets rude and nasty comments about how we don't know anything. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be... I'm sure someone's going to call me out for my pronunciation of Moog. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, yeah someone's someone's going to say something about that. So moving on, this next thing's more interesting to me. So so maybe we'll talk a little more. Sure. Um, so Sweetwater is launching a marketplace i think y'all covered this actually in yeah. the episode that came out this week um yeah so this is interesting to me because scott mentioned this to me in a message uh, a couple of days ago actually and i was like yeah they've had that for a while like that's that's what i've heard yeah they had a used gear marketplace on their website for like a year and a half i've gone on there yeah. search for stuff I, w I went on the current one and i actually was able to find stuff listed as early as february 2022 so i don't yep. know if some things have been removed since then and and uh but i actually saw someone else uh on the 60 cycle hum uh facebook group said that they had this back in 2018 yeah that like this that was has the been thing running for a while um, so I don't know if it's just something that they are pushing harder now. Uh, what's confusing to me is that w Ryan and I, we just went to Sweetwater uh, a month and a half ago for GearFest. Right. Um, and their use section on their physical use section is called the Gear Exchange. Um, oh, that's so, right. So that's, you know, if you go there and you want to trade in a piece of gear for something you're trading it into the gear exchange and then they're giving you store credit or whatever and you're going from there um i don't remember if i talked about this on my show but uh i was kind of i felt bad i made the guys at the gear exchange do work while i was there <laughs> um because they had a 1981 uh drv I think it was a number two. I think it's uh, DRV number two, which is the same one that I have. It's uh, the, uh, it's not quite chrome. It's like a nickel finish, white ink. Uh, maybe it is considered chrome. I'm not sure. It's not like polished chrome though. Gotcha. Gotcha. Anyway, not like Harley so, chrome. Yeah, but it but it was listed for like three hundred bucks, and I. Uh, I kind of, I like held it up and I was like, Ryan, look, I'm, I don't think we were filming, but I was like, Ryan, look at this. Like they're, they got this thing listed like reverb, like people trying to sell these things on reverb for like way marked up. I'm like, Matt hoops still makes these things. Like he, he doesn't <laughs> release them constantly because I like right now, Reliant K is going on tour. Right. Uh, 
but I was like, this is priced like really high. Uh, and I'm like, I, unless the market went back up on them, like this is, especially for this finish, like it's way too high. And I kind of like busted the guy. I was like, Hey, this is, you got this listed too high. I go, these are two fifty new. He goes, he goes, yeah, but it's limited. I go, eh, it's not that limited. And uh, so they, so they took it behind the back. And the next day, I saw it on the shelf again. I pulled it up, and they had it relisted for I think two forty nine. Oh, <laughs> so nice. I was like, I was like, oh man, like I kind of was like, I was like, I knew I, this is one of the products that like uh, I've tracked over the over the years because it was so hyped for for mm-hmm. you know uh, about a year or so. And the prices were getting like really crazy on them, um, really before Matt kind of committed to like doing f- production runs as frequently as he could. But I was just like, I felt a little bad because so I was like, you know what? Like, if they sell it, if they don't sell it, like that's not my problem. That's like, true. That's not- I wasn't gonna buy it. if I would want if I wanted to buy it off of them and you know make that push on them, then then you know I wouldn't have felt bad about it, but. The fact that I was just kind of like busting their balls and making these guys do work when I'm there as a guest of the of the company. <laughs> I, but well, uh, yeah, so so, so yeah, their year, there, your, that's their year used store on site is the Gear Exchange. Yeah, when I was there um, back in August of 2020, uh, yeah, it was um, it, like that was during the remodel. That was they were mm. still in like everything was in weird places and. Like the gear exchange was this tiny little corner of that downstairs main room, right? And uh, they had some cool stuff, but yeah, it was called the the gear exchange, and that's definitely this has existed for a while. And I'm I'm looking now; it's like yeah, are the oldest listings I can see are from 2022, but they're from February, and yeah. I know it's existed longer than that. Uh, so I don't know if they've. Maybe they're decided to push it. Maybe they've decided. Uh, I know that uh, you and Ryan talked about the fact that when you sell things, you can get them credited in Sweetwater dollars. Yeah, it's. I, I apparently I'm looking at this article and it's saying it's just through October 31st. If uh, if you take a Sweetwater gift card as your form of payment, so I guess that person's gonna. You sell a guitar for three hundred bucks. They're going to send that three hundred to Sweetwater, and Sweetwater is going to give you three hundred dollars of store credit. Right, and they're going to waive all the fees. Um, the fees are competitive with Reverb. I think out the gate, if you just want to take your cash and go, um, it's about it's like point. I think re, I want to say Reverb is two point, either two point seven or two point nine percent. Um, and I think Sweetwater is like 2.5%. So it's like, it's competitive. It's, it's slightly lower. Yeah. Um, is it enough to make a difference? I don't know. I think, so I think Reverb also charges a flat fee, which I don't think Sweetwater has. Um, so I'm sure someone somewhere has made a table comparing the two and breaking it all down, but that's not. Oh, absolutely. So let's see, I'm looking at the, um, Let's see. Preferred seller at Reverb. As a preferred seller, you get the lowest rate. Mm-hmm. Um, which, by the way, y'all becoming a preferred seller is easy. It's super easy. Yeah, it's easy. like six, five transactions. I think. Yeah. It. it yeah, and you've got to have like a certain response time and yeah. shipped out within a certain amount of time at, on average. But it's super easy. Uh, it's two point five percent plus twenty five cents. So. Huh. 
five percent for the reverb fee, and then two point five percent for the processing fee. So it's seven and a half percent plus plus twenty five cents. Okay. Um, just so we get that clear. That's that's a preferred seller though. So right. I I think it'll be interesting to see if it takes off, especially now that they're sort of pushing it. It's it's weird to me that they're marketing it as a brand new thing. Um, when obviously we know it's not, we can tell just from the listings that are available. It's, it's, you know, there's listings from six months ago. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's, maybe that's a hard time limit. Maybe they push things off if they've been up there for six months or longer. I mean, it would be a keep, would keep everything looking fresh, which yeah. is nice. Um, yeah. And, and keep it from just becoming this glut of stuff, just this mad, crazy amount of stuff and it getting kind of trashy. Um, I'm Speaking trying to see if Sweetwater trashy. has their fees uh, online, but they're not. Uh, I don't. don't I'm not going to start an account just so I can find it. Um, and I, I guess I could look at my email, but I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not going to. I think. I think all the. I think all of that data is in my email somewhere because we actually, uh, Ryan, messaged our affiliate contacts over there and said, Hey, what's yeah. the, we want to talk about this on the show. So what's the deal? But I don't, I don't have it offhand. It's a, it's okay. a cool thing. I think it could be really competitive with reverb. And I think the fact that they uh, have a retail side where you can kind of roll, like you do the individualized transaction and then you can roll it into something at their store. Um, I think that's going to yeah. be attractive to a lot of people. That's pretty rad. That, that's a, pr- it's a pretty good deal. I'm not going to lie. Um, we'll see if it takes off. I, I think we need an alternative to reverb. Um, uh, I know that like, you know, there's some alternatives for used gear. There's not yeah. an alternative for a user marketplace for used gear, except yeah. for like Amazon and eBay and nobody, I don't even look at those anymore. I, I'll, um, I, I look at eBay sometimes because if you know how to read eBay, I think you can get a better gauge for what used prices really are. Okay. Um, Reverb's always kind of tricky because I think reverb tends to, it's just harder to figure out what exactly, like when someone makes a deal, what it, what it is. Yeah. But, um, that's the thing. They, they show you what it listed at, not what the final, what it sold right, for is. What the agreed yeah. price was. So, yeah. so moving on this one Speaking of trashy, excuse me. Um, Bush Light launches the do-it-yourself Bush Light guitar. I don't understand this. What is what is what? The, who knew that cracking open a cold one with the boys could be this productive? Is the subheader on this? This is on guitar.com. <sighs> yeah. Um, so. Th- Beer can guitars. I, I'm, I'm looking at this and they're telling you, you need one, two, three, four, four different drill bits <laughs> to make this thing. Oh yeah. Now on top of a wrench, a file. Oh, the plank of wood that you need for the neck. Um, Three guitar tuners. Oh, I mean, so this is, I mean, this is just supposed to be a, uh, like a cigar box kind of good. Yeah, thing. exactly. But with beer cans at the bottom. I I don't know. This is dumb. 
seriously, this is dumb. <laughs> this is this is dumber than another slash signature guitar. <laughs> this not, is not, so on, stupid. Not, not pictured scissors, guitar strings, fret scale guide, sandpaper, <laughs> indu- industrial strength adhesive, drill, pencil, and ruler. This I is mean, stupid. I guess, I guess the one thing I will say is uh, this is uh, how to build your own acoustic guitar out of a 30-pack and a toolbox. And what I will say is uh, you could probably... While typically I do not advise operating any sort of uh, electric machinery tools and whatnot when it, while intoxicated, I do believe Bush Light is one of the few beers where you can drink an entire 30-pack and not be intoxicated. 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. So I live in a college town, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah. students just moved back in yesterday. And even if I didn't know that, even if I didn't know the students weren't back in town, I saw two dude bros walking down the sidewalk today, carrying three cases of Natty Light. I was like, yep, students are back. (laughs) It's it's like, this is, this is the same deal. This is you, you lost money on this deal. Like it's it's not worth it. it. First of all, You've got to buy Bush. Are 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 we so? Is Bush Light so hurting for business that they've got to concoct this cockamamie scheme? I mean, I mean, the, so so like so much of the of so much of the of the uh, big beer um trends. Yeah, this is a trend that I think would have been like funny in 2014. Yeah. You know, I don't remember. Obviously, cigar box guitars have been around forever, but I kind of think that the heyday of the cigar, the the most recent spike in the cigar (laughs) box guitar was probably like eight years ago. Um, Maybe eight. Yeah. Eight to ten years ago. Yeah. I remember cigar box. My first NAM, I think, was 2015. And I remember seeing like a few cigar box vendors there and thinking like, oh, that's a really cool idea because uh, I had never really seen it, like the amount of creativity. Mm-hmm. But this is like so many other things where it's like your big beer, you're trying to, whether it's Anheuser-Busch, they they actually like a couple of years ago, they fired all of their craft beer wing. They decided they had hired because Anheuser-Busch had been going around and buying craft breweries. Right, I remember. And and you know, instead of instead of saying like, "Hey, we should make good beer," they said, "Why don't we just <laughs> buy out other companies that already make good beer?" Which oh, I, it's I guess like I the Yankees. <laughs> instead of drafting players, we'll just keep buying players. I mean, I would say it's kind of how I how the Padres look right now, and it's not yeah. it hasn't played out so far. We're we're gonna let other teams do the R and D on these players, yeah, and then we're maybe. just gonna buy them when they're good. Um, jeez. Uh, I, I will not go. Oh, sorry. There are a few, I don't love anything in this world as much as I hate the Yankees. So, um, that's fair. That's, that's, uh, <laughs> well, I can say right now, uh, let's see, uh, Alex Wood who has a 4.29 ERA is one hitting the Padres through four. And that one hit was from one, <laughs> oh that one hits from Juan Soto. So, oh, well, yeah, of course it's from Juan Soto. 
Uh, okay, so uh, don't worry, don't worry, y'all. We'll come back to baseball. I promise. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, so this this whole thing of like, let's make a cigar box guitar. It's just the, the it's a thing that they should have dug into a long time ago. Because is Bush Light the ultimate redneck beer? Maybe it's it's got to be close. Ooh, ooh, oh, you know. I mean, besides it, like there. Besides, like straight bud, or or as they call it in certain counties, bud heavy. <laughs> yeah, we still call it bud heavy. But then there's always there's natty light, man. Natural light <laughs> is is the ultimate redneck. Like the thing I want to drink. I don't want to get drunk, but I want to pretend I'm drunk. Beer. The thing is, is they even drink natty light out here. Like natty light is just the universal bro beer. I think. What what We're about at, Milwaukee's best? Is that a thing out there? It is, but uh, I've never I've never actually seen anybody drink it. I I have. It's not a pretty thing. It's it's not. Um, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I'm a beer snob, and I'm okay with that. Uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings. Uh, I've built a few cigar box guitars, and and I'm in the mis- I'm in Mississippi, like from the Mississippi mm-hmm. Delta, like the seat of the blues. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. I know. I know lots of cigar uh, guitar builders, cigar box guitar builders. They're still building. They're still selling them. They're really popular at blues festivals. People love it. It's kind of kitschy. It's kind of interesting. They can be super creative and they can be very good too. There are some people making some very good ones, Mm -hmm. but then there's like, it's, it's a, it's a tourism like keepsake. You know what I mean? It's a kind of an expensive keepsake at anywhere from a hundred to $500. Um, but it's a it's a tourism blues keepsake. This is an abomination. <laughs> well, it does say at the end that uh, you can also on this thing uh, sign up for a Bush uh, beer. Oh, I signed see by Jordan Davis guitar. I'm trying to figure out what the guitar itself is. I'm Not trying to matters. figure out who Jordan Davis is. That's also very fair. Um, <laughs> It also makes me think of he's an American country music singer and songwriter, apparently. All right. Uh, but it also made me think of I, I watched this video yesterday of uh, I it was suggested to me. I watched it hesitantly, but I was glad I watched it. It was a guy who I guess is a he's a metal music YouTuber okay. um, reviewing a Stevie T video, which I am not a fan of Stevie T. But a Stevie T video, it was called like "How to Be a Country Musician," and it was pretty funny. It hit like all of the, all the check marks. I think you got to hit. But one of the things that the guy was saying, he's like, you know, this is a departure for my channel, being like a metal musician, um, primarily. But he was talking about how he cut his teeth as a um, guitar tech in Nashville, which meant he basically knew like. And he was like a tour, like the touring guitar tech for a couple like national Nashville country acts and, and talking about how, uh, you know, how basically like there are a ton of like modern metal guys in Nashville who one of the things Stevie T says is you take your metal look, you take off your hair, your long hair wig, you put on a, you keep the black. Yeah, keep the black. You take off your long hair wig and you put on a, ca- a cowboy hat. 
you take off your your uh, work boots or your Vans or whatever black boot you have on, and you trade that for a pair of black cowboy boots, and you're done. And that's how you go from being a metal guitarist to being a country guitarist. Uh, and the guy was saying, like, yeah, he goes, there's a ton of like singer, there's a ton of songwriters in Nashville who all were in metal bands, and they basically now they're just uh, they've dumbed down their everything about their music and they write the same songs about you know beer women and trucks and uh, they make they make money yeah so i um i had adam schoenberg on the podcast who's a, a nashville guy he plays plays guitar for tim mcgraw he's uh mm. written a bunch of songs with uh i think jason aldean maybe oh that's or is too it the bad. other guy is it luke no no it is jason aldean so at one point so he's a rock guy. He's he's not yeah. a country guy. He he told me he so he came to Nashville and he did a bunch of duo gigs with Jason Aldean and they almost got signed as a duo. Mm. But Adam was like, "No, I'm not a country guy. This is not going to be my bag." <laughs> but he plays a ton of for a ton of country artists and he goes in it telling them, "Hey, you know I'm not a country guy, right?" They said, "Yeah, yeah that's why we're hiring you." You yeah. know, it's like that there it's modern country is so infused with uh rock aesthetic and oh, rock yeah. Yeah. tones that it's it's i i'm not gonna go on my anti-country music thing because you know what it speaks to somebody somebody is listening to this it doesn't speak to me it is not my bag i'm not well, i'm not gonna yuck on anybody's yum you know how this goes it's interesting because i i didn't really know about it uh the the associations um, in terms of, you know, uh, so how many of the uh, early country, or I, I shouldn't say early, it's not early country, but basically how much influence Dan Huff had on on country oh, music. Yeah. And where Dan Huff in the 80s was in like, I think he was a member of like White Snake or he played on White Snake and he played on a bunch of other stuff. I'm looking at his list real quick. He also has a ton of country credits, but he's just all over the map. Uh, he was in, in Whiteheart. Whiteheart. Yeah. That, is, that was the uh, Christian rock band. I remember them. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Oh, he, yeah. he did also, he played guitar on albums for Michael Jackson, apparently Amy Grant, White Snake, a bunch of Christian, yeah, Stephen Curse Chapman, Michael W. Smith. Uh, he was on Whitney Houston's debut album. Uh, but then, you know, I think of Dan Huff as, yeah, apparently Dan Huff played on uh, White Snake's Here I Go Again. He's one of the <laughs> oh, studio gotcha. musicians. But then he also has like a ton, ton. Apparently he played on Taylor Swift's Red. He played on like Whoa. every Martina McBride album. And so here's this guy who's just all over the place. And I know he's been credited as being one of the uh, – featured players that brought that like 80s rock metal whatever sound over into country music which which i mean you really do kind of hear that like the power ballads like a lot of country power ballads and a lot of 80s hard rock power ballads they're the same damn song with a little more twang yeah exactly i'm going so i'm going down his list of albums right now and i'm having like like teenage youth group ptsd <laughs> with some of these i'm like holy crap steve like every stephen curtis chapman album yeah, yeah. uh first of all stephen curtis chapman's no slouch of a guitar player no. either no he but is like not. uh i love this one though um 
Oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Oh, I just, I just had it. He, like the same year, he did uh, Colin Ray, Faith Hill, Tanya Tucker, and Selena. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that one. I was like, what is this? <laughs> what? Okay. I don't know how we got on the, the, the Dan Huff train. It's but just, well, I, just see, talking like, about I know country his name. music. And- yeah. See, I know his name and I know he's had a big influence. Yeah. But I've never like looked to see what all he 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 was on Joe Cocker's Cocker. Yeah. What? Well, you think about how easy it's been for some of these guys. Now, granted, some of it is largely well, I, maybe not largely, but at least partially political. Uh, that guys like Aaron Lewis from Stained or Kid oh, yeah. Rock have transitioned from being hard rock, rap rock, whatever guys. I mean, that's been the the running joke I've been hearing about Kid Rock is Kid Rock went from being this kind of like his whole vibe is kind of trailer park, whatever, like trailer mm-hmm. park r- rocker to trailer park summer, you know, south southern rock guy. But apparently uh, he is he he could have done no work and still been been a millionaire because uh, uh, the rumor. Well, I don't know how much of it's rumor. I don't know his his story, but apparently his family was pretty well-to-do. His, oh, his, really? His father owned, uh, was a car dealership owner in uh, in Michigan in like the 70s. Gotcha. And so, okay, uh, that's interesting. Kid Rock grew up in a 5,600-square-foot home. Yeah, and then, then just put on the... Uh... Put on the outfit of a trailer park. Yeah. Oh, and and the actually the most fun thing I learned I, I saw this the other day. Um, his sister is an actress uh, who was what? in. Um, did you ever watch Arrested Development? Oh my gosh, forever ago. So she's in I think one episode of Arrested Development. Uh, she is their publicist, the Bluth family publicist, and she really? is a. Uh, if you if you look her up and you if you I, I've I've watched Arrested Development like three or four times the whole thing, <laughs> gotcha. Uh, and when I looked her up, I was like, oh, that girl. Like I knew exactly who it was because that was just her. But I think she was only in one episode. She's in like a bunch of yeah. like a bunch of small time TV shows and and a couple movies. It's just goofy. Yeah, Jill Ritchie is yeah. her name for anybody that wanted to look that up. So uh, moving on from the Bush light abomination. Yeah. Uh, so mad professor has announced the green wonder, the ultimate high headroom overdrive pedal. Yeah. I don't understand this. Um, I didn't this pedal come out like 20 years ago. Yes. That's what I feel like. I feel like this is not new. Like, did I step into a parallel universe where this came out a long time ago? Now I'm... Apologies if people can hear me going to town on my keyboard. I have a mechanical keyboard, so it's very loud. Yes, and mine's Um, in the other room. I've got the nice, the quiet Apple keyboard uh, in here. Oh, you know what it is? Is their current... um, Their current green pedal is or their previous green pedal was the green or was the little green wonder oh and so i think the green wonder is a uh 
a re Let's it's see. like a v2 oh you know what they think it's got updated EQ. the eq yeah they updated the eq section instead yeah. of just a tone knob and now it's got bass and treble okay so wonderful you can have a tube screamer i don't know if this is a tube screamer it's an overdrive booster pedal um here's our take on the ultimate green pedal well what do you think they're talking about yeah okay uh congratulations one more freaking tube screamer okay moving on <laughs> are you a tube are you a tube screamer guy i i love the tube screamer but there's so blipping many yeah like yeah I I, I I I can't do more. I have found that sometimes they work for me and sometimes they don't. So um, yeah, I I think I've only I've owned a couple actual Ibanez tube screamers here and there, but I've had Same. a lot of like s- supposed like upgraded ones. So I had one that uh, years ago that a guy made. I actually still have it. So it used to be a company. It's like a one man shop who was selling on guitar forums uh and his brand was called sbn pedals um and i had one of those i really liked it uh and actually what the first tube screamer i had was the um the jekyll side of the visual sound jekyll and hyde yeah which was really cool but i i find that i don't get along with four knob tube screamers uh, oh, that really? Pedal, that pedal drove me nuts. It was a four knob tube screamer. And then the other side is a, I think a Marshall governor uh, yep, style, that's so what I, it was. which is like a, and it's like a five knob and it's just too many options. Like I wanted to be able to dial in something quick. So I, I went from that to this just three knob uh, tube screamer that I got, got to work pretty quick. Um, and then I tried a BYOC OD2, which I think is in the same, it's like supposed to be like a, super versatile tube screamer too again too right. many knobs uh so now i'm running the uh the actually the big ear stevenson burkhead were you able to find a buyer no i've still oh. got it and probably i'm just going to hold on to it so i'm, su- I'm surprised um, you weren't able to find one it just it just means uh i have to make some uh, smart financial decisions in the next few months <laughs> but um no i've still got it and i'm probably i i'm gonna do the here's the thing so when i put it up for sale the reason it went up for sale was i'm not desperate for the money right but it break it breaks my prime directive it mm-hmm. breaks my rule number one i don't own a piece don't, of gear that don't I won't inf- don't interfere with other cultures developments that's that's exactly it. Thank you for getting that reference. Um, I figured you would, but um, the uh, I don't own a piece of gear that I won't gig, right. and the it's hand painted. It's limited. It's too cool. You know, it's super cool, <laughs> and so it breaks my number one rule. So what am I going to do since I'm holding on to it? I'm going to slap some Velcro on it. It's going on a pedal board. No, it's I'll it's be a damned. Great, it's a great pedal, and you know that. So we talked about a little the history of that pedal is it was originally uh, the Luck Drive, um, which was uh, a pedal that he did for the... Um, it's some like Willie Nelson thing. Oh, really? Yeah, luck the Luck Reunion Festival, I think, or Luck oh, yeah. Festival. Yeah, it, that, that's like Willie's Festival, right? Yeah. So it was like a thing that he that Grant made uh, as get. I think I think it was like as gifts for the performers. He made a bunch of them, 
back oh cool. like i don't know set five or like four or five years ago something like that and uh, and then that was all he made and then um we had this i don't know where the idea came from to do make reissue or to have a stevis and burkhead pedal uh a beavis and butthead pedal basically uh but that yeah. he brought that circuit back for that but yeah i don't yeah, know I, like and the, I, I think uh zach over at mythos helped him revamp yeah. it too yeah i think so, he was the original design on the luck drive yeah. so if you gotcha. i think if you google big ear luck drive there's a video of it that talks about how they put that thing together yep it's a good pedal i i really like it it, it is i so i've got it i've got two other tube screamers that aren't on boards i've got the um the voodoo lab uh sparkle drive mm, mm-hmm. and i've also got a um what's the other oh the wampler clarksdale i have oh, to have okay. a clarksdale yeah I was gonna I, say. i'm from clarksdale so uh, i've got that it, it that one i love it but mm. it's also it's like you said there's too much there's three band eq there's a switch there's a lot of stuff going yeah. on for for me uh with tube screamers i used to be just like every a uh, white passing kid playing the blues uh, was a big Stevie Ray Vaughan fan. Yeah. And so I played a strat into a tube screamer into a fender amp. Well, the fender amps have stuck around as my favorite amps, mm-hmm. fender style amps. But what has changed is I don't like strats like I used to. Oh, okay. I much prefer P90s and humbuckers. Yeah. And you put a P90 or a humbucker into a tube screamer. It's too much. Yeah. And so I, I've had to go to more neutral overdrives. I found that. So actually, it was I, I think it was one of the last, if not the last uh, church service I played because we moved uh, and kind of, you know, packed everything up and haven't unpacked anything. Uh, but I was running, trying to run the woodcutter, uh, which is a rat style pedal yep. for everything. I've got one of those. And uh, is it behind the microphone? There it is. Yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, our sound guy goes, uh, yeah, it sounds really good, but if you could use a little, maybe a less distortion and more overdrive, <laughs> because, you know, we're doing everything with with uh, backing tracks and whatever. And he goes, yeah, I don't know what it is. He goes, the distortion, it's like, it's just, it's it's too bright. It doesn't mesh with the, with the gotcha. backing tracks. Because, um, the you know, rat style pedals tend to be a little scoopier. He's like, yeah, yeah he and goes, they, it, they tend to be a little fizzy, but I don't mean it in a negative way. Yeah, that's yeah. like part of the, the charm of them. Yeah. So there's that top end. It's one of those things where it's like they sound, it's almost like they sound great when the mix is near empty. If it was just, you yeah. know, drums, drums, bass, guitar, uh, you can do a lot more than, I mean, literally some of these church tracks, man, uh, it was like so, always such a pain to rehearse because i'm rehearsing at home with the tracks and i go okay i just need to hear i got to hear the timing for this one lead guitar part because it's i i'm not a i wasn't like i one of these guys and we weren't the kind of church where you had to play every part but there's always a song where it's like you know there's a signature riff that everybody knows that's like two measures and then the rest of the song you can play whatever you want but for that two measures, you better play the right riff. And uh, so I'm like trying to hear this thing. And so I'd play that. And then maybe it would be like in a different section of the song. So I'm playing through and all of a sudden I get to that other that other part and I go, I'm not hearing it. And it's because a different guitar 
is playing it. And I've isolated guitar one, but there's five isolated guitars on the backing <laughs> track. I'm sitting here going like, why do you have five? And I guess it's like different, different backing track manufacturers do it different ways, but I'm sitting there going like, can you just put all of the guitars on one track? Yeah. My, my last church gig, um, before we moved up here, um, I played guitar for them and, uh, we were guitar, bass, drums, like six vocalists. Cause that's how you wow. do. Um, yeah. And then sometimes an acoustic guitar, sometimes mm-hmm. another keys player. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. we, we'd add keys. Yeah. And so we never once, one thing, we we played to a click, but we did not play to tracks. We didn't bother. Because oh, okay. yeah. for some of those same reasons, it was it was just, w- instead, we made it work. Yeah, like, for sure. Like we just found a way to, to play the song, which worked for me because that's how I've always been. I've been an improv guy most of my life. Yeah. So it became a very... It also gave the uh, worship leader a whole lot of freedom to decide where she wanted to go. Yeah. At any point, she could decide to go back into anything. And yeah. like we could no, cycle sure. and vamp and do whatever. So I really enjoyed that part. But yeah, the the tracks are wild. I have friends who play in those churches with the tracks. And I'm like, I, I, I'm not knocking it. I just don't think I can do it. No, I, there, I don't know there, that I could be that guy. There's really big pros and cons to it. Um, I think so we like, for example, I, if I was playing guitar, um, I, anytime I was like, yeah, I told him, I like, it doesn't matter what I'm playing. Um, just take, because of the way that, the, again, because of the way the tracks would like spread out the parts where it's like maybe in the, in the studio recording or whatever, uh, the first guitar riff part was played by whoever in the studio had a Les Paul. And the second cool riff was played by whoever had, you know, Telecaster. So there's a slightly different tonality or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then there's another riff at the end that's played by the guy who's got a, got a uh, Gretsch or Duesenberg or whatever. So again, you got these five guitars and I just tell him, I go, you know what? I'm going to play the riffs that I play. I'm going to play the chords that I play. Just take all the guitars out. So, I was like, if I, if there's not a guitar that needs to be played, then just take it out. Not because it's like, oh, I'm so good. But it's actually because I'm so bad. Uh, because, <laughs> because it's like, uh, because it's like, they're playing this like, and it's like, if you couldn't nail it note for note in the exact same awful. timing, it sounds terrible. But if yeah. you, if you take out the real thing and just play mine on top of it, 95% of the people actually, and then you add in the room reverb and everyone else, no one's going to know, you know, no, uh, but knows. you have, it's fine. You have two distinct sounds playing and it just throws everything off. Oh yeah. It's yeah. Uh, the tracks are, we were really lean. We, uh, most of the time it was drums, guitar, maybe keys, but actually once our keyboardist, uh, uh, got late in her pregnancy it was a lot of times it was just drums and guitar so bass keys synthesizer sub synthesizer acoustic guitar (laughs) those are all um those were all tracks and it's just you know people try to get uppity about it and and i i i get it i kind of used to be in that ballpark of like well if you can't replicate it live then what's the point but yeah right 
again, I don't think most people, most people are very, you know, the music is very vocal focused. So as long as you have like a, a strong group leader that people I, you know, can connect with. And I don't know that the rest of it matters a ton. Nah, because that's the most important Scott is off recording his worship album. Right. (laughs) So, but all that to say, Mad Professor, update on their pedal. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it sounds good. I just don't. I I question the need for another Tube Screamer. Um, What I don't question the need for is Earthquaker Devices teams up with Brain Dead to redesign the Ghost Echo. Yeah, which is so... Was the Ghost Echo discontinued for a minute? That's what I think. Uh, uh, I'm double-checking that because I like to be right about things, even if that means I had to look it up. Yeah, I know it's uh, one of their oldest pedals. Um, yeah, it's... It's been around a while. In fact, maybe it's not discontinued. Maybe it's just that they're on like a version whatever. But that pedal looks like it was originally released in yeah, it looks 2010? like the current version. Looks like the current version is a V3. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that one's still available from Sweetwater. Uh, it looks like the Brain Dead edition, um, is just new art. It looks cool. Yeah. No, it looks super rad. It's a uh, uh, green with mushrooms eyes. I'm I'm not really up to date with the band brain dead if you can't tell by the name it doesn't run in a lot of the same circles of the bands i listen to <laughs> um <laughs> but uh i i i'm sure some listeners of this show have heard of it and are super excited about it uh i'm just excited about reverb pedals well so, so i don't even hey, think brain dead is 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 a uh it's not a band per se it's like a graphic it's a art collective Oh, so it's kind of like see, I assumed it was a band. No, so it's kind of doing. Uh, there's a when you go to their Instagram, there's a lot of like shoes and just like gotcha t-shirts and stuff. So they're just they're doing. Uh, so just a bunch I just of went ideas. to their website, um, and so looking at their website, there's I immediately go into the website. There's a Reebok shoe on uh, what looks like uh, some type of sea lichen. Uh, there's a guy jumping into a crowd. There's a bunch of Magic the Gathering cards and some rollerblades. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, they do shirts, shorts, denim, pajamas, pajamas. some special projects. Yeah. No, you can order pajamas. Um, skateboarding, underground comics, post-punk, spirit of subculture. Okay, I get it now. It's not a band, but it sounds like a band name. Um, well, the art looks good. Yeah, it's yeah. not new, but I mean, the art's new, but the pedal itself is not new. So, uh, how do you feel about the constant redesign and like special artwork and limited edition art? And I don't know. I think uh, I think when you do this kind of collaboration, it's different. I think. Uh... Because like Earthquaker Devices does a lot of special run stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, Walrus was doing it for a long time. You know, they'd have yeah, the. That's true. They launch the for Black Friday. They would do like the the Halloween themed or whatever or the Santa Fe series or these different things. Um, 
I think it kind of gives these brands an opportunity to put out something different. If you keep it limited enough, then you're going to have your fanboys that go in and they're, they're going to grab it up right away. Like it's smart because yeah, of that. It's, and I then, think it's a smart business decision. And then you as have long as you're people, not like charging extra. Yeah. If you have people who like maybe aren't super into the original design, but now all of a sudden they're like, Oh, I like the pedal, but you know, I don't know. It's like, it doesn't really do anything. I, I too far away from what I've already got. And then now all of a sudden it's the, a new version. It's the same pedal. It's got a cool yep. design, but you might have people who are like, Oh, well, I want that cool design. I mean, There's how many people thinking back, I, I gotta imagine like there are a ton of people who just don't like the color purple, who didn't buy a Timmy until it came out in the surf surf green version. That just seems wild to me. That that absolutely seems wild. There's a guy on Facebook who has every color variation of the plumes that they have put. Oh out. yeah, yeah, I've seen that. What? There's there's a plumes for sale in a local pawn shop. By the way, it's currently priced more than new. Uh, I'm like, I, I don't even know what to tell them. It, I guess they think because it's one of those limited run colors that they, it's real worth more, yeah. but it's really not. It's, it's really just not. I, so the, for me, because of like my utility, the way it's a tool, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. I get sentimentally attached to this junk too, just like everybody else. But I, um, I also still look at it as a tool. I had a guy, I, I can't even remember what I was trying to trade. Cause I'm constantly, I love the hunt of gear. For uh, sure. So I had something up for trade and a guy offered me one of those limited edition Princeton's that had the sunburst wood, uh, like the, the actual cabinet, they had sunburst the cabinet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was it from and, the Fender factory sunburst? Yeah. Fr- from Fender factory yeah. sunburst. And so it was like limited edition. I think it had a 12 inch speaker. Yeah. Um, and, but I had to tell him, I said, Hey man, it looks super cool, but it's not worth more to me than a normal Princeton with a 12 inch speaker would be. Yeah. So I can't, I can't trade value any more than that. So, you know, didn't, obviously that trade didn't work out, but it's like, that's the way I look at these limited edition things. It's like, mm-hmm. to me, they're worth as much as the original is worth, but they're right. interesting. Right. I, the Fender was doing that for a while with like, uh, I think they did a sunburst hot rod deluxe uh, with like oh a, they did with like a you know cannabis rex or whatever in it instead of the the normal Fender design eminence and it's like ah uh, you know the the look is cool uh, obviously they put a little more work into making the wood making sure they you know selected a good piece of wood that would that would look good on a on a sunburst finish and whatever. But at the end yep. of the day, it's a hot rod deluxe with a speaker swap. You know, yep. you, you took a $30 speaker and you put in a $100 speaker instead. So it's worth that amount. And the finish is whether or not you want to pay extra for the finish just depends on whether or not you you think it's cool enough to warrant the price. Yeah. It, oh, and I just looked it up that FSR princeton reverb with the three-tone sunburst it still had a 10-inch speaker but it has oh, a celestian gold 10-inch oh, speaker okay. in it so it, it's a you know it's a slight upgrade i get it um the celestian gold 10-inch does not go for the same prices that the 12-inch does um but you know speaking of fender we're moving out of gear news and we're we were pretty late in the podcast we've gone on a little longer than usual maybe what you're used to with scott and diaz i don't know if you know but i like to talk um <laughs> 
I, I don't, I didn't get into this podcasting thing to not talk. So, um, let's talk about Dylan talks tone. Oh, and r- real quick. We'll talk about that. 100%. Yeah. I wanted to say I'm, I'm in the middle of your, uh, uh, episode with Jesse from 29 pedals. Oh yeah. And, uh, is it 29 pedals, 29, something, whatever his yeah, 29. 29 pedals, believable audio. Um, and he was talking about playing shows and having a guy come up and wanting to be like, oh, you don't have a port on your kick drum or whatever. Oh, and yeah. I was in one of those bands uh, with Ryan back when, when I was in college. And our drummer had a 1968, uh, 69, something like that, Slingerland kit. Uh, in I think Marine Pearl, and uh, he put in a, like a, a vintage style. And it wasn't. I don't think it was an old head, but it was a vintage style, like non-ported Slingerland head on it. Or um, and uh, we played a show where the sound guy came up with a box cutter, like to what? cut a hole. He's like, he's like, I got to mic your drums, man. He's like, I'm just going to cut a port in it and put the, put the mic in there. And my drummer, he's like, he's like, no, you're not. And he's like, he's like, no, man, I got to. It's uh, otherwise it's going to sound bad. I'm not going to be able to catch the beater. It's going to sound like trash. And my, oh my, and, my, and my drummer goes, yeah. What if I want it to sound like trash? Because we were, we were, <laughs> we were, uh, you know, he's like, well, I'm not going to be able to capture any of the lows like that. It was a 28 by 14 kick drum. Good so, night. Yeah. So it's the, uh, it's uh, similar to, uh, I think Bonham uh, played a 20, either 26 or 28 by 14, but it was the, the, whatever that acrylic series, um, Vista oh, light yeah. Uh, yeah, drum stuff. And uh, I think it was a 28 by 14. And uh, those drums are really weird because, and I haven't heard one again since I was in that band uh, years ago, but they have a really fast attack. Uh-huh. Um, so the guy, the whole, this sound guy, his whole thing, like in theory, like I kind of understood what he was, what he wanted to do, which was, oh, if you port the, open up the port, you put the mic inside, you're going to be able to better capture that fast, low attack. Because yeah. you got that fast attack, and then all of your reverberation was like higher end uh, in the frequencies. Yeah. But the thing is, it's like if that's not the sound, then that's not the sound. Like trust that the band is using the equipment that that they actually know that like they're using the equipment to get the sound they want. We were a we were a uh, you know I don't know. We never figured out how to shove ourselves into a genre. Uh, our, our drummer again, had this vintage slinger link kit and he, he was kind of dialing in these, you know, MC five. It was, I guess like we always said like, Oh, where it's like alterna punk or surf punk or whatever. Oh yeah. But it's kind of like a lot of the vibe was like more proto punk. Um, but he was playing that. I went through a bunch of different iterations of bass rigs. Um, but I still think the best bass rig I ever ran was running into a acoustic 150, uh, which is kind of a hybrid solid state head that once you turned it up above with bass, once you turned it up above like 12 o'clock, you didn't get any more low, low, more low end. 
you just got a ton of like low mids. And so it was just a super, like, it wasn't that like modern, um, Ernie ball, you know, music man, stingray into an Ampeg sound. It was just this weird old school mid grind and it worked perfectly for what we were doing. It was like, it was approaching the instrument all very wrong. Right. But it worked. Well, that's modern guitar sound comes yeah. from approaching the instrument yeah. wrong to start with. So I, anyway, that's the, well, I, I will say just going back to referencing that episode, uh, if you listeners, if you haven't listened to my podcast, that's a great one to get started on. Jesse's amazing. And just, I'm just throwing it out there, Steve, the Patreon episode with Jesse is also an hour and a half long and okay. we get down into like tuning and temperament. And it's crazy. We got wild on that episode too, like super nerdy in that one. But, um, I, so when I was in audio school, when we we're learning to work in studios, right? The first thing they tell you, like it, I, we see audio engineers now go up, they get their phone out, they turn on the light, they look for the speaker, they aim the microphone, and then they walk away as if that's correct. They didn't listen to a thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's just where the mic goes. Yeah. No, that's yeah. not just where the mic goes. You need to, the kick drum works the same way. Mm -hmm. Listen to the kick drum. If you mic right here, it's going to sound completely different than if you mic six inches over yeah. or four inches more towards the center or learn to move the microphone to where that kick drum sounds the best. Mm -hmm. You're going to get a good sound out of it. The only thing you can't get, I say can't, they're caveats, uh, you can't get is that beater click. Right. You're not going to get the click of that beater. Put an SM58 or 57 on the other side of the kick drum. Mm -hmm. Double mic the kick drum. You'll be fine. You'll, you'll live, sound guy. Um, but yeah, so it's a really good episode. A lot of fun. But yeah, so Dylan Talks Tone. Uh uh, I admittedly was ignorant of his YouTube channel. Apparently, it's a thing. I apologize, y'all. I'm still learning all the YouTubers. Are you familiar with um, Dylan in general? No, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I've had to learn who this guy is since this video came out. Yeah, he's been around. Um, he's been around a long time. Oh man, he's got a video called Dylan Talks Tone Visits Casino Guitars. I, I'm no comment. Oh, that's oh my gosh. Yeah, no, no comment. comment there. Uh but he um, he's a he's a pickup builder. Yeah. Um that's what I've learned. And uh but he's also been doing the YouTube. Sometimes he does video. He's kind of gone back and forth videos on YouTube and then for a while I think he was like trying to do videos on um on uh Facebook. But he kind of goes in between. I think his best, his like his best received content tends to be uh, talking about um, technical stuff. But he also does these like gear news, so like these uh, this Fender uh, layoffs thing. Right, that makes sense. Well, so this video, I'm gonna watch this video, uh, and he talks about the fact that now, granted. As of the time we're recording this, and I've not looked for new sources, he's mm -hmm. the only source on this. That so like there's one other source that everybody for some reason now, and it's weird to me because I actually saw this headline and I kind of forgot about it, and then I saw uh, it brought up in another group uh, Discord that we're both on, um, uh -huh. 
and uh, and I went, oh yeah, this sounds this sounds familiar. Why does this sound so familiar? Um, so Dylan's video for this came out. I'm I'm looking this up so I can get the the numbers right. Sure. Um, well, Dil- I, Dylan's yeah, Fender video came out. Um, on August on August third, right? On July twenty ninth, so um, Phil McKnight on his live stream uh, tackles uh, a topic that he calls first guitar center does layoffs and now fender. So like two, what is that? Two, three days before Dylan talks about it. Now Dylan drops the number and Dylan's is called why did fender, why did 300 fender employees get laid off? Phil's video right. is called fender does layoffs after record sales. And it's three days earlier. And apparently, uh, I don't know if it, again, the other thing that's weird about it to me is, Dylan's video has 30,000 views and Phil's video has 52,000 views. So it's not like people didn't see Phil's video. Um, yeah, exactly. People but they both cover this. it. They, they both have different perspectives on it. Um, Phil's, I listened to Phil's. I didn't listen to Dylan's. Dylan from, since from, but I read the news articles. The news articles right. are quoting a lot of things that Dylan says either in speculation or kind of trying to read between the lines of the situation. Uh, whereas Phil, uh, I don't think he speculates as much. Um, and again, Dylan's, uh, I think his video from, again, from what I've read and from what I heard, like he says, he makes comments about having sources, but he doesn't really go too in depth about it. So, Well, so uh, to to bring listeners up to speed, there's a video. Dylan says 300 Fender employees have been laid off. His yeah. his term is the entire afternoon shift has been laid off. The entire yeah. shift. I've seen that elsewhere. No notice. Yeah, and so including some research and development and some executive, some administration, uh, including the guy who designed the uh, Acoustasonic series. Mm-hmm. Um, has apparently been let go. This is on the heels of some other whispers that I'd been hearing about some pretty poor quality control at Fender. Yeah. Um, uh, Dylan says like 50% of guitars are being sent back because they are they're have right. major issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, uh, and you know, someone, uh, we won't call them out, uh, but they, they were pretty public about it on Facebook. Uh, they received uh, one of the Ultra Lux Jaguars yeah. from Fender. This is a $2,500 guitar. The case wouldn't close. Right. The The ferrules, the string ferrules on the back of the guitar literally fell out of the back of the guitar the, when the strings which were is, slack. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely wild to me. Uh, so... There's some, and that's not the only one. That's the one I know the most info about, but there's been some other people talk about some issues with Fender guitars coming. I've got a guitar tech who does work for me, and this is a guy who likes Fender guitars, so let me put that out there first of all. He says he hasn't encountered a Fender guitar that he didn't need to reseat frets in. Wow. So he said he has not found one that he didn't have to reseat the frets and recrown and and level. Right. So So I... To me, there's two different ways to take this, right? Like, 
Right. One um, from Phil's video, he kind of takes it from the perspective of, I, I think the article was from like three months ago in like Forbes, some magazine, Forbes or something along those lines where mm-hmm. the Fender CEO is um, saying, you know, we've got record profits. Um, record profits can be good or bad, right? And this was kind of my thought is, well, if you're if you're getting record profits, but you're um, seeing on the horizon that, well, we've sold a ton of guitars, but we don't necessarily have a plan to keep this pace going. Um, so how do we maintain consistent profits uh, without... You know, without having to, without being able to expand our sales, yeah. And one way to do that, unfortunately, is is laying people off. Yeah. Oh, well, I see another. Uh, Dylan talks about this, and this is interesting to me. But and it, and it actually tracks, even though it's weird and it's backwards than than the way you would think. Um, one of the major issues is a lot of the import guitars that are coming in are sitting. They're not selling like they were right. a year, two years ago. And so they ramped up all this production to get these guitars over here. I don't know if you saw Fender had a massive, like reduced price on everything they, they have. Right. The, the, their reverb store reduced the price on everything. You can get everything on a deal right now, especially the import line. Basically anything the number Dylan uses is $1,500 and below. Um, you can get a, a deal on it. Um, because they weren't moving, but stuff above fifteen hundred dollars was selling. Now, if you look at the, you look at the economy from the average American viewpoint, yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, right? You know, yeah. why are the more expensive things selling? Well, it works the same way as I watched this when Hurricane Katrina came through and wrecked New Orleans, right? Completely, and the Mississippi Gulf Coast wrecked mm-hmm. it. Those who already had the the upper middle class and above right recovered quickly right they were fine those who did not have some of them never recovered and the same thing happens in a recession those who have weather it and it doesn't really affect them the way that it affects um people in lower income brackets and so lower income brackets in the current market that we're seeing right now where you know everything's more uh, inflation's high you know things are super expensive well that's not the discussion we're getting into but in that environment yeah the people in lower incomes that would be buying these import guitars aren't doing it so now they're sitting interesting and they're in they're in debt for these guitars that have been built and they've got to find a way to pay that debt right so I mean, I guess that makes sense it's uh i i went through and lined up through fenders current offerings outside of squire um i did i kind of thought this might exist whether what it means for them i don't know i guess uh but the fact that you go from the bottom of fenders lineup to the top of fenders lineup in under fifteen hundred dollars in terms of the fender player series which is the used to be the mexican standard series right now it's the player series is eight hundred and fifty dollars Right. The Fender Elite series, uh, same model. So I'm talking about SSS Stratocasters here, uh, is about $2,200. So you run the entire length of their quality 
in a $1,300 span. You compare that to, um, you, you know, you compare that to Gibson. What's a Gibson Les Paul um, special or whatever? Oh, the special. Well, the special is like a thousand bucks or 900, a thousand bucks. And then yeah, they've got a bunch of guitars under the thousand dollar mark. Yeah. And then the Gibson, I'm thinking like, when I think top of the line, I'm thinking Les Paul Custom, I guess. Um, and I don't know what the what the price is on one of those, but I, I got to imagine it's uh, a uh, little bit more. Let's see. Five, five to, grand. I'm saying. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So. Yeah, Sweetwater has it at $5,800. Yeah. And and they are out of stock. So, you know, I don't know what that means. Even the, even the standard, right? The stand, Les Paul standard 60s model is $2,800. So it's a little bit broader of a range there. Um, yeah, much broader. So, I, I again, I don't really know what that means. It's just interesting to me. And I think uh, I didn't go through and map out Gibson, but it's it's interesting to me that the Fender Player Series is 850 the Fender Vinter, Vin, yeah, the Vintera series is like a thousand bucks. The um, or the Player Plus and the Vintera series are actually both the same price, eleven hundred dollars. The Player yeah. uh, the Player Plus eleven hundred. The Performer series I think is thirteen hundred. The Ampro, the American Professional Two, is sixteen hundred. And then it jumps up to the elite at twenty one, twenty two hundred, and to me it just and, it feels. And then you've got the well, then you've got the ultra lux at twenty five. Right, and the ultra lux is kind of I kind of put it out because it's uh, I don't think there's an ultra lux strat that I saw. Maybe there is now. Um, uh, there is, there is an. Ultra I must. Have, I may have just missed it, uh, but it's just it kind there's, of. There's a few. It kind of just seems like a really tight space where. I, I don't know how that works with your brand when you're sitting there going like as a, as a consumer, I'm thinking like, well, do I spend $800 for the entry level or, well, it's not the entry level into Fender. So what right for the cheapest Mexican Fender, or do I spend a little bit more and get this cool player plus finish? But then if I want to get this cool player plus finish, do I want to get a more like vintage correct and go Ventera? You know, if I'm already there, do I want to just chip in an extra couple hundred bucks and get an American-made guitar? Well, if I'm going to get an American-made guitar, don't I want one that says it's like, yeah, I'm only a performer, but I want to think that maybe someday if I practice enough, <laughs> I could be a professional. You know, these are the kind of things that like it's it's dumb, uh, but I, I have to imagine like the average consumer goes through the same kind of thought process. Yeah, I... I, I know I do when I'm looking at buying something and I, I want, I want this thing. Uh, my camera died. Uh, I, I want this thing. Um, and it's only this much more for me to go up to the better quality version of that thing. Yeah. I'm going to look at the possibility of going up to the better quality version of that thing. Right. I, I don't know. I gotta, it's, I gotta imagine. Thing. I don't know if I buy the $1,500 thing. I, I kind of, but I, I can both see it. I just maybe I just don't want to believe it, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I don't know. It, it's it's tricky. Um, again, and but I can also understand it because it's like, well, that means the 
Ampro 2 is selling really well or selling at least decently because it's above $1,500. And that would make sense with kind of this brand confusion of what is less, what is American and less than $1,500? Well, that's the American Performer Series. So yeah. that, you know, at face value, if you just break it down that way, it really all it means is that Fender is hurting. Whether they, they're probably not really hurting. They're just forecasting yeah, that somewhere in the next couple of years, they might be hurting. Um, and so they've laid off as kind of a future casting, uh, a shift. Um, and, you know, if it's under 1300 or under $1,500, that the only thing that's under $1,300 are they've got a couple signature. Actually, even the signature models that are under $1,500, I think are made overseas. The only American made sub $1,500 guitars are the American Performer Series. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because I've got the Isbell Telecaster and that is a Mexican made. Yeah. So, uh, with not overseas, but you get the idea. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't, and I don't know what all this means. Like it's, it's one thing we're just speculating, but it makes me wonder. And, and remember they're laying off the makers of the American guitars that are supposedly still selling and not the makers of the guitars that aren't selling Yeah, because they can't lay off those workers. Those are contracts that they don't want to give up those build slots for. Yeah. Right. So, well, and the other part of that is like, like you said, it's uh, R and D people. It's supposedly the designer of the Acoustasonic is gone, which right. it seemed like the Acoustasonic. I mean, I've seen them on, I've seen videos where people are playing them on stages and whatnot. So it seems like there are I've artists seen playing several, them. Yeah, and I've seen several just local singer songwriters who are using them. So I mean. They're not my bag, but they're apparently selling for somebody. Yeah. I think the introduction of the uh, Mexican-made one, the more affordable one, was a huge game changer for a lot of people who sort of wanted that idea, but couldn't afford the two grand for the the big version. Yeah, I mean, it also anyway. could be, uh, you know, it's you you maybe you get that one knock it out of the ballpark idea, and that's all you got. You know, it's hard to say with these guys. With you know, you yeah. don't know. Who knows. It's fun. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Um, also, there was the other, somebody else speculated that, you know, the quality control issues, I bet Fender's gone through some turnover just like everybody else has. Oh, yeah. 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 So that's that's also probably in play with the quality control. So we'll see what happens with Fender. I, I, I doubt we'll see like massive shakeup, but it'll be interesting to see if they reduce their uh, production numbers a yeah. little bit. And, and see what they can make out of it. Well, the and the other side to that is uh, if if the quality control issues are are real, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but you were saying that you know someone who seems yeah. to think that they're seeing a lot of, excuse me, a lot of issues um, come back across their bench. If the if those reports from the from the public. From your from your texts are oh yep I serviced five of this guitar here's the serial numbers and that goes back to Fender Corporate and they look at it and they go wow like sixty percent of these are all coming from the afternoon shift on Tuesday exactly <laughs> well it looks like the after- maybe we need to rethink yeah, that maybe the afternoon <laughs> shift on Tuesday doesn't need to exist anymore 
That's it. And oh. so uh, right now it's all really still obfuscated and we don't know what's going on. There's yeah. just those couple of people who are reporting on it because they know people at Fender. Yeah. And, That's why they know things. And the reality is that I, I think unless, you know, Andy Mooney or one of these guys at the top comes out and make a state makes a statement like we're probably never going to know. Yeah. I think they'll end up making a statement just because it is starting to to leak out there a little bit. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that statement will be. It could be just a pacification kind of statement, yeah. not an actual clarification. It, it is a weird thing again, you know, that to report record profits and then turn around, <laughs> turn around uh, in the same calendar year and be like, we're making lots of money, but we're letting you go. That's yeah, that's, that's real big business right there. That's uh, you see that in a lot of industries. Yeah. Um, yeah. Don't typically see it in the guitar industry like that, but yeah. you know, We'll see. Um, in the meantime, I think that sort of pretty much wraps it up. This is a little longer, little longer than the average uh, effects loop episode. Well, it's a look, little look, y'all th- It's a little higher quality than the typical. <laughs> I, I like to think we're stepping their game up a little. We're raising the bar for them. And look, they look y'all. If y'all listen to my show, you know I talk. This is what you were getting. You knew this yeah. when you read whatever description Scott decided to put on this episode. Ryan and I tried to shoot for 60 minutes, but we've been missing it very badly for the last six months. <laughs> uh, and the reality is, is you and I, we both do very different shows from the effects loop. Like you do a primarily yeah. an interview show. Uh, I do a mostly um, used, used market-ish uh, memes kind of show. So, you know... <laughs> They're very different than what uh, Scott and Diaz do, and they're good at what they do, and we're we're good at what we do. Absolutely, it's it's a totally different vibe. That's why I I, I knew I'd done something right when I picked this format uh, for interviews. When um there was a list going around for a little while, somebody was trying to categorize all of the guitar media influencer podcast YouTube channel like. Mm-hmm. that universe mm-hmm. and they were trying to codify them by like oh this is a demo or oh this is a news you know channel or right. podcast oh this is a musician lifestyle and then there was interviews and it was me and blake i think that's my list oh is that your list i, I definitely was generating this list like three or four months ago and i first i don't remember one i don't remember why i started it and then uh, I got busy and didn't finish it. There was a reason yeah, I was maybe doing it. Maybe it was yours. I just don't remember what it yeah, was. Yeah, I think there was. I don't remember your reason either. And that would be weirder if I remembered the reason and you didn't. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. I like doing the interviews because it takes a lot of the heavy lifting yeah, off of me. For so. sure. Well, awesome. Well, listeners, thank you for uh, listening to this super weird episode of The Effects Loop. Um, remember to go to patreon.com slash The Effects Loop. It feels weird to push somebody else's Patreon. <laughs> uh, while you're on Patreon, go to patreon.com slash 40 watt podcast and also to uh, patreon.com slash 60 cycle hum cast podcast. No, cast. just cast. Thank you. Yeah, 60 Cycle Hum cast. And uh, just, you know, give all your money away. It'll be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you don't need it. Uh, we need it. Absolutely. We need it. We need it so we can keep doing uh, ridiculous things like this, taking over other people's podcasts. Um, but we're going to let you go. We're going to log off here so I can send some files over to Scott and he can post this. But in the meantime, uh, be good to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Try to make some noise. Try to make some noise.
And goes. Stay grounded. Hate annihilated, every heart is one Love again, 